Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. At the time of this recording, we're restructuring our Men of Peace coaching program with the uh, large amount of requests that we've been receiving. We're uh, turning our Men of Peace program into an online course with a variety of interactive materials, and we're uh, expanding some of the material while also condensing some of the ways in which it's received. I'm really excited uh, about the new process and uh, am hopeful uh, moving forward that this will be a tool that counselors, pastors, and churches uh, can use in their process of working with men who use violence or abuse in the home. Now, with that said, we've been taking some time here on the podcast uh, to talk directly to men. Now, I'll admit, uh, as I've done these uh, last couple podcasts, this has been a difficult forum, a uh, difficult uh, medium for me to do that. I'm I'm used to interacting with men uh, in small group environments or individual environments where I can ask questions, I can dialogue. Uh, sometimes there's humor, sometimes there's real uh, rigid or firm communication. There's got to be some hard things that are said. And so in a more one-sided conversation, it's a little bit more difficult. So uh, I really appreciate the feedback uh, for this series of podcasts on Stop Hurting the Woman You Love. And I want to continue today by setting up uh, our next few discussions uh, by talking about you know some of the goals in Men of Peace and the process itself. And I won't be able to explain it thoroughly here on the podcast, but I thought it'd be helpful just to lay out um, kind of the threefold agenda of uh, intervention that we we run here at uh, PeaceWorks, the way in which we approach it. And that is that our hope is to provide information, to give a means of transformation, and then to promote reformation. So those are kind of our three approaches. Uh, It's also representative of the gears that you might see. If you've seen our logo, we uh, have these three gears. And we have operated under this... um, uh, this precedent, this thought uh, that what we want to provide is information, transformation, and reformation. So today I want to talk a little bit about information uh, in the Men of Peace process, but more specifically to talk to men that might be listening in who have been accused of abuse or have identified, maybe that's even a better way to put it, identified abusive or destructive patterns of behavior in their own interaction, in their own intimate relationship. And uh, they want to just kind of begin to self-reflect. And uh, information or education is a key part of, uh, of the process of change. In fact, one of the, one of the misses, uh, I think, one of the, I uh, shouldn't call it a mistake, but maybe better put, one of the incomplete responses to domestic abuse is to only offer therapeutic remedies. That is to only offer counseling. Now, I'm not opposed to counseling. I think counseling should be a vital part of your process. And if you're certainly if you're a a husband or a man who has harmed uh, an intimate partner emotionally, physically, mentally, verbally, you have done damage 
to that individual. Counseling would be a great place uh, for you. But I would say it is not the only place for you because the therapeutic response uh, is not the entire goal uh, of change. And you're going to need other elements. And education uh, is one of those. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why you might find uh, batterer intervention groups uh, through the court system. They would be labeled psychoeducational, not necessarily therapeutic, but they're often called classes. And the facilitated discussion is about both self-reflection, awareness, worldview development, uh, but certainly uh, education on the topic of domestic abuse. And I feel strongly that individual men that I work with need to have at least an understanding of the problem, not to weaponize it. I think that's a real danger. And so you have to to really place yourself in um in the information, in the narrative to say, okay, how am I participating in this? How am I utilizing these these tactics of power and control? How am I being abusive? That acknowledgement and that level of self-reflection uh, will benefit you. If, you. if you're learning for the sake of, of weaponizing your words, um, then of course um, th- this is not for you. Of course you're not going to experience change. You don't want change. And I think that's something that needs to be uh, needs to be stated up front. I mean, if you're looking for more weapons, more tools in your abusive tool belt, uh, then you should be called to account for that. That in and of itself is abusive, uh, using information as power to control. So with that said, I just want to walk through uh, some of the tactics of power and control. I, I want you to listen closely as I state them and um, identify some of the characteristics. And I want to ask, I want you to ask yourself the question, um, am I using this particular tactic to control? And uh, we're going to begin with the idea of coercion and threats. Coercion and threats, it's the making or carrying out of threats to do something to harm her. Threatening to leave her, commit suicide would fall into this, maybe report her to child services, um, forcing her to drop charges or to not pursue civil action, or making her do illegal things. Now, even when I bring this up, I'm using gender-specific language because this podcast is addressed to men, but I'll often have men push back and say, well, what if she threatens me? What if she tries to control me? I think what's important to remember in each of these tactics is that they are held together. They are supported by fear. Fear for one's physical or sexual safety. I think it's important for you to hear that there may be sinful responses or sinful tactics being used against you by your wife, per se, that may not be abusive because, frankly, You're not afraid for your physical or sexual safety. You have a great deal of agency where if the shoe was reversed, your wife would not. And I think coercion and threats is one of those that's most glaring in the work that we do. That your words, your choices, your um, ultimatums have a great deal of power and can produce a high level of fear and uncertainty. So the question is, have you been using threats 
to control your partner. Threats that would leave her feeling unsafe or uncertain. Have you been using coercive behavior to force her uh, into certain responses? If the answer to that is yes, then um, it's important that you place yourself in that category that I have been destructive. Notice that I didn't say that I have been uh, coercive or threatening. This is just one aspect of abuse. And so it's important to say if you've been using threats to create a climate of fear that leaves your partner feeling um, unsafe physically or sexually um, just through your words or ultimatums, then you've been abusive. It's important that you own that because until you own that, you will not be able to repent. What about intimidation? This is another common tactic. Again, reinforced by fear, held together by threat, uh, fear of one's, for one's safety. But intimidation is making her afraid. And that can be through looks or gestures, uh, breaking things, destroying her property. Also through things like abusing pets or displaying weapons. I've had men say, um, well, it wasn't like I was going to shoot her. Um, and yet she didn't know that. And that's why the tactic worked. Displaying a weapon uh, to create a climate of fear is abusive. It's a, it's a use of power to coercively control another person, to have them fear for their safety. This can also happen with the tone of our voice, our body language, blocking someone's path. There are ways in which we use the gifts that God has given us, our size, our strength, to control another person. If that's you, if you've used intimidation, again, I want you to reframe from just saying, I'm intimidating. If you've used it to control your intimate partner, then the correct phrase is, I've been abusive. I've been destructive. Emotional abuse is one of those categories as well. This can be put-downs or guilt-tripping, calling her names, making her think she's crazy, playing mind games, humiliating her, making her feel um, guilty. This is the one that I often get the most pushback on, that, well, women are just as abusive as men then. But remember, the end result here, the impact, is fear and uncertainty, not fear of losing something. And that's often what happens when when men uh, appeal to me about emotional abuse. It's, well, I was afraid I was going to lose my family, or I was afraid I was going to lose my marriage, or I was afraid I was going to lose control. Again, we're talking about fear of one's safety. Have you been using names, name-calling, guilt-tripping, humiliation to control your partner? Have you been doing it in such a way that she's left fearful and uncertain, walking on eggshells, hoping not to set you off? It's important that you own that and you place yourself within um, the material, within the narrative. Another tactic is isolation. Very common, separating that individual from hope and from help. I hope that you can see that even the way I worded that, separating them from hope and help creates a climate of fear and uncertainty. If I don't have help 
Am I really safe? If I don't have access to friends, family, am I really safe? This is controlling what she does, who she sees, who she talks to, what she reads, where she goes. This is limiting her outside involvement. Are you using isolation through demands of you don't need more education or absolutely you must homeschool the children or um, you have to stop going to that women's Bible study? I know what's happening there. Or are you using jealousy as an excuse? I think it's important that if your isolatory tactics are controlling your partner's behavior. If they're losing agency because of your demands and that's creating fear, it's important that you recognize that it's abusive. Probably the most common is this next tactic, minimization, denial, and blame. This is making light of the abuse, not taking her concerns about it seriously. This is saying that the abuse never happened or shifting responsibility for the abuse saying that she caused it or a substance caused it or stress caused it rather than owning it. I want you to really think if you are one who these concerns have been brought to you, you've been destructive, you've been abusive, you've been controlling, and your response has been, it wasn't that bad. It's not that big a deal. You're blowing this out of proportion. I'm not a bad guy. She has her faults too. Then I want you to own that. Think about that. For just a second, if your, if your knee-jerk reaction is defensiveness and blame shifting, then you need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Perhaps you've created a climate of fear. Perhaps your partner isn't safe physically or sexually. Perhaps you have been coercive and controlling. Perhaps you are abusive. If your first response is to be defensive, to blame shift, to minimize, then it's important that you self-reflect, you ask for help, and you own what you've done. Using the kids is a common tactic, making her feel guilty about the children, um, their behavior, their demeanor, their personality, their success. Using the kids to relay messages rather than talking to someone directly, reinforcing your threats through the children. We see this a lot during separation when custody and um, threats to take the kids away are common. But we also see this in using the kids against their mom, brainwashing them, convincing them, using them as allies. Oh, you may think, and if you're hearing this, you may be tempted to turn this off, but stick with me for a minute. If, if you spend effort convincing your children how bad their mother is, how wrong that she is, you're using the kids to um, pal conviction on their mother. Shame on you. Recognize. Stop for just a moment and recognize that weaponizing the kids is certainly... Um, not healthy, and more than likely is abusive. Are you using the kids to reinforce the fear, the coercion, the control, the lack of safety? Uh, if so, uh, repent. Think about the, the, uh, 
the ramifications, not just for you or for your partner. Sure, it's benefiting you now, but how is it affecting your partner? And how will it affect the kids long-term if you normalize this type of behavior? Another tactic is economic abuse, using finances against your partner. This can be overt or covert. It can be um, blatantly giving them an allowance, uh, withholding access to the funds from them, not allowing your partner to know how much money is in the bank. Or it can be covert, preventing her from developing skills that may allow her to earn an income, uh, keeping her from getting a job, making her beg you for money. Um, These things can be the most severe, the most controlling in some ways, because you know uh, that this is power. You have a great deal of power over your family if you control the money. If your fear is losing control by giving your wife access to the funds, then I would encourage you as well to self-reflect a moment, to think to prayerfully consider the impact that your financial control is having. Is it leaving her uncertain, fearful, uh, lacking agency or choice, freedom? The last tactic that I'll talk about is male privilege. Uh, Sometimes people refer to it as hyperheadship. It's just simply this idea of using your position as a man or a husband to treat your wife like a servant. Using your position, however you view that, as a man or a husband, to make all the decisions, to act like the master of the castle, the king of the kingdom, being the one to define um, what you do and what she does. I find this a lot within the Christian world. We confront this quite a bit. We work with victims who are terrified of their husbands, in large part because of the way in which they manipulate and use Scripture to make demands of their partner. Well, I'm the head. What I say goes. You're not being submissive. And the demands that that are being placed on these women are unbiblical, extra-biblical, and unheard of, and inconsistent with the scriptural understanding of headship, which is about surrender, service, and sacrifice. The question is, would Jesus use these tactics on you? Has God put his thumb on you and forced you into conformity? Or has he invited you into such? Privilege, um, power over, um, are antithetical, I believe, to the gospel. If you're using your position as a husband or father, your power as a man to create a climate of fear once again, to cause her to question her physical or sexual safety or to um, create confusion and, and uncertainty in the home, then this has to be put off. We can no longer call this headship. We've got to call it what it is. It's oppression. It's pressing down on another for the benefit of self, and it must be abandoned. You see, information, whether it be about violence or nonviolence, whether it be about tactics of power and control or the impact of abuse or the weight of abuse or the dynamics of abuse, all the different things that we teach throughout advocacy and and education work within um, larger settings 
are things that we can talk about man to man. Understanding and placing yourself in the narrative, putting yourself in proper perspective, what the Bible would say being sober-minded will benefit you because you have to understand. We have to comprehend the ways in which uh, you have harmed your partner. And until you fully acknowledge that, owning the things that you've done, I, I don't see the next step, the transformative step of the gospel really taking hold. Because what do you have to repent of? What do you have to surrender if what you're doing is justified and right? But brother, it's not right. Sir, it's not justified. If you're using these tactics of power and control and your wife is experiencing threat and fear, it's not right. It's not justifiable. It's sinful. And it must be abandoned. Well, I hope uh, today was helpful. I hope the content was helpful. Um, I know it's not exhaustive. There's no way at listening to a 20-minute podcast that you're going to have an exhaustive treatment and, and find resolution to, to your personal problems. But I do hope it's a start. If you are listening today and you're a man and you've been convicted by what you heard, I, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Uh, one, would you consider contacting a local batterer intervention and prevention group? You can probably find out information about this from your local shelter or your local sheriff's department. See if your community takes volunteers. If your group takes volunteers, consider joining, uh, learning more about the dynamics and impact of abuse and your place within them. If you're interested in a gospel-centered approach, consider investigating Men of Peace and the work that, that we're going to be doing online. Talk to your pastor or your counselor about the tactics of power and control that we talked about today and ask them to, to learn with you about how to put those off and to put on righteous responses. I want to thank you guys for listening in today. I so appreciate the audience for the PeaceWorks podcast. You guys are what make us uh, continue. And uh, again, I want to remind you of the upcoming reboot of the Men of Peace coaching platform and the things that we're going to be doing this spring. Uh, once again, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, God bless.